0: and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want to talk about why there is no reason for you to be afraid. Let's dive in. Over the past several weeks, we've been walking through the concept of no fear. That regardless of what is going on around us, regardless of the culture, regardless of the governments and regardless of the economies of this world, there is no reason to fear if you are a believer in Christ Jesus. And we've been walking through different aspects or maybe some different perspectives of that idea. And I mentioned in the last episode that I wanted to look very specifically at Hebrews chapter 13. This is a phenomenal passage, and in fact, it's become one of my favorites over the last couple of years. If you look at Hebrews chapter 13, it's interesting that the writer of Hebrews is wrapping up this incredible letter, and as he, he's kind of giving a series of reminders to his readers. And he says stuff like, let love continue. Hey, don't forget to show hospitality. Remember those who are in chains. Hey, marriage is to be held in high honor, and there should be no sexual immorality in your life verse 5, he gets into this idea of there should be no love of money, but be content with what you have. And flowing out of all of that, he makes this incredible statement at the end of verse 5. He says that God himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid What? can man do to me? Isn't that an encouraging verse? Listen to this again. Let me, let me just read it afresh. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Again, I love that idea that there is no reason to fear. It doesn't matter what the world does to us. There is no reason for us to walk with fear or worry or anxiety. And the key reason that the writer of Hebrews gives us is the fact that the Lord is our helper. And he himself has made the declaration, I will never leave you or forsake you. Well, I want to break this verse down a little bit because I think in the exposition of this passage, there is some incredible truths that we in this generation for this hour need to know. Now, at the very beginning of this little section, the middle of verse 5, there is a double emphasis on God himself. Again, it doesn't just say God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The writer of Hebrews specifically says, for he himself has said. And again, it's giving this double emphasis to the person who is speaking. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is leaving no question as to whom is making this declaration. See, if in the back of my mind, I say, well, all right, maybe someone said back in the day, I will never leave you or forsake you. Well, that's encouraging. But the writer of Hebrews says, no, no, no. you need to understand that it is God himself who said this. This wasn't a rumor about what God may have said. This isn't a well, you know, a secondhand account of, you know, I've had a friend who heard this from another friend who had a brother whose best friends heard this statement. See, it's none of that going on in the passage. Rather, the direct quote from God is, I will never leave you or forsake you. And if you look back at, say, Genesis 28, verse 5, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 31, or Deuteronomy 31, verse 6 and verse 8, Joshua 1, verse 5, All of those is this grand exhortation of God reminding his people that he won't leave them. That he is not going to forsake those that that is in his trust. Now look at what God himself has said. God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Another translation says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever abandon you. As you look at those two words, to leave and forsake, or to desert and abandon, it's interesting that they both give a very similar idea. For, for example, that word to desert or to leave you means to desert, to abandon, to forsake, to leave behind, to depart and not take along. But the word forsake or to abandon means to desert, to give up, to cease from, abandon, forsake, or leave behind. So even just in the definitions, they sound rather similar. So what then is the difference between the two of them? Well, here's how I've been describing it. In the first term, leave or to desert. Again, yes, it means to abandon or to forsake or leave something behind. But it is used in a variety of different circumstances. Uh, For for example, uh, I'll travel once in a while and uh, imagine I get on the plane and as I'm, you know, heading off to some location, I go, oh, I forgot my toothbrush. See, that would be this word. Have uh, you ever had those family vacations where you pile everyone in the car and then you start driving down the road and suddenly one of the kids says, oh no, I forgot. And you're like, sorry, we're leaving it behind because, hey, we are forsaking it. We are, we are not turning around. We've already been driving for two hours and it is not that important. That's this word for leave or to forsake, to, to desert. But the second word, the way it's different from this first, is when God says, hey, I'm not just going to leave you. I'm not going to just treat you as some item that, you know, I I went on vacation and I went, oh no, forgot the pillow. Well, I'll buy another one. No big deal. See, God says, I'm not going to do that to you. But he also uses the word forsake. It's interesting that that word to abandon or to forsake is used 10 times throughout the New Testament. And every time that word shows up, it's always in the context of a relationship. In other words, where the first one could be just even with some animate object, it could just be with something, the second word always has to deal with someone. For example, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, Paul is speaking of the difficulties that we are undergoing. And he says, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not abandoned. That's our word. Struck down, but not destroyed. So Paul says, look, I understand you're facing difficulties. I understand there are trials. The Roman government is putting all this pressure upon you and it's persecuting you. And wow, there's a lot of pressure. But God has not abandoned you in the middle of it. Again, it's in the context of relationship. I'm not sure if you've ever been in one of those circumstances where a parent has left a child. I had a good friend who... Uh, is a, is a preacher. And we were at this conference together and his family was there and his wife presumed that he was going to take one of their ch- child, their children. And he presumed his wife took the child. And so the wife had left a little bit earlier. And after the kind of the conference, you know, fellowship and relationship stuff at the end happened, he just got in the car and left. And so I was kind of cleaning some things up and I looked over and there was his son. And I said, well, where's your parents? He goes, I don't know they, they left me. And so I I called my friend on the phone and said, "Um, you you do realize your son is still here at the church. You have forsaken him. (laughs) And okay, that's kind of a cheesy idea or a cheesy illustration, but it's that, that's the concept here in the passage. God says, I won't do that to you. Hey, I'm not going to treat you that way. So think about these two words. God himself is looking at you and there's no doubt of who's talking God himself has declared, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm not going to desert you like some toothbrush or a pillow. I'm never going to abandon you in relationship. Hey, I'm not just going to toss you aside. I'm not just going to, oops, I forgot you. See, God's not going to do that. Now, here's what's profound about the passage. Again, let me read this to you. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you it's interesting that in the greek there is a couple of words that we don't translate and the reason we don't put it in the english is because it actually makes no sense and it's a emphasis on the never again it says i will never leave you nor forsake you but in the greek it's interesting that before the word leave and before the word forsake there's actually a double negative In other words, it would say, I will never, never leave you, nor never, never forsake you. Well, we know in English that when you have two negatives together, it actually makes it a positive and all that weird, awkward, goofy sixth grade grammar that we try to forget. (laughs) But the emphasis of the passage in the Greek is that God himself is saying not just I won't forsake you and leave you behind, but that God is looking at you saying, look, I will never, never leave you. I'm not going to treat you like some object that I went on vacation and left it behind and says, well, no big deal. I'll get another one, nor will I never, never in the context of relationship, just forsake you and leave you behind. See, I will be with you, says God. So when you look at the passage, there is five negative emphases. It is, I will never, never leave you, nor never, never forsake you. Five times that emphasis of, I will not do this shows up in the passage. I don't know if you've ever done this in Bible study, but you know, this is one of those things that, you know, as I'm studying along and I, I, I see this, I go, I hope I'm correct in understanding this idea. So I began to kind of search down the idea and I found a quote from Charles Spurgeon who basically fleshed that out. And if you want to read Charles Spurgeon's quote, I put it in the show notes. So just click on the the link for the show notes and you can read that quote by Charles Spurgeon, unpacking this idea of the five negatives in the passage. But this became even more meaningful in my life when I was preaching it, preaching this passage at a conference some time ago. And I had a good friend who is in his eighties and he's a Greek, Greek scholar. And he was sitting on the front row with his Bible and and I, I was walking through this. I said, look, there's five negations in this passage. Five times God is emphasizing, I won't do this. And so I looked at my friend Wayne and I said, "That that is correct, right? <laughs> there are five of these. And he heard and looked at the passage. He goes, no, that that's incorrect. And I was like, oh, no. Because <laughs> you know, as, as a preacher and as a communicator of the word, I, I want to be correct. I don't want to just, you know, I don't want to make things up. I, I want to be true to the word of God. And I said, well, I saw five of them in the passage. And he goes, no, there's actually seven of them. That the way that even the Greek grammar is constructed, it actually emphasizes it two more times. And I was like, wow, that is so crazy. And not to put a lot of emphasis on the number thing, but seven, the number seven biblically is often a number of completion or fullness. So think about this, seven times in our passage, God himself is looking at you square in the eyes saying, I will never, ever, 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 ever leave or forsake you. I will not do that. Now, if God came up to you and he says, without a doubt, I promise I will not leave or forsake you. Wouldn't that just, what, what could humanity do to you? What could steer you off that path? What could remove that confidence and boldness if God himself has clearly told you, I won't leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Well, no wonder the writer of Hebrews says, so then we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? See, if I know that God has promised, and again, God cannot lie. So, if God makes a promise, it is guaranteed. Take it to the bank. I mean, it is absolutely for sure. So, God Himself has made the declaration I won't leave you. I will never forsake you. And not just I won't do it. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't do that. I promise you, I will never leave you or forsake you. So there's this sevenfold emphasis in the passage of, I'm not going to do this. So if God has made that declaration to our souls, why would we fear? If we know that the God of the universe, the one that holds the universe in the palm of his hand, according to Isaiah, if we know the one who created all things, if we know that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is not just on our side, but actually lives inside of us through his indwelling Holy Spirit. And he has promised to never leave us or forsake us, regardless of what is going on in the world, regardless of what is going on in our circumstances, regardless of our problems, God says, I won't leave you. If that is true, why would we fear? Why would we have trepidation? Why would we forebode? Why would we worry? And of course, the rhetorical answer is, well, we wouldn't. There is no reason to fear or worry or forebode if we know that the God of the universe is on, not just on our side, but promises to never leave us or forsake us. And we have his indwelling spirit living within us. Oh, dear friend, may I freshly encourage you this day that God won't leave you. It doesn't matter what you face. It doesn't matter the trials or the circumstances or the situation or the craziness or the finances or the family or whatever it may be in your life. It does not matter what wars may be raging around the world. It does not matter what happens to the economy or the financial systems. It doesn't actually matter who is in the political control. In, in, in America's case, the president or in another place, is prime minister. It doesn't matter who is leading the country. In Paul's day, we had wicked Roman rulers like Nero who are killing Christians all over, the, all over the place. And yet, in the middle of that kind of a scene, they can be told and encouraged and strengthened with the promise that God hasn't left them. And if God hasn't left them in the midst of all the persecution and the craziness, if God hasn't left them in the midst of the destruction of the Roman government back in the day, if God has promised to never, ever, ever leave or forsake us, shouldn't we walk with a confidence and a boldness with faith and trust in our God? We as Christians should be overwhelmingly different Living and thinking and acting and talking different than the world around us. The world is marked by fear and worry. It is we, as believers in Christ Jesus, we who have put our hope and our trust and our faith in Him, who should be able to walk with peace and joy and a confidence knowing that our God is with us. Would you have that focus? Would you turn your gaze upon Jesus afresh? Would you not allow yourself to to go down the rabbit trails of fear and worry, but rather put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has promised to never leave or forsake you? Oh, that is an incredible promise that we really need to embrace in the days in which we live. We do not live in crazy days like the, the early Christians did in the times of Rome. We have it good. In fact, we have it really good compared to a lot of Christians who live in the Middle East or in like North Korea or China. But regardless of your circumstance and regardless of the intensity of your problems, all of us, whether we live in North Korea, China, the Middle East, or here in America, all of us need to embrace the fact that God is with us. And let us not just know that truth. Let us change our lives. Let God transform our thinking and living to reflect that incredible, incredible reality. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, including a list of some verses, as well as that Charles Spurgeon quote that kind of fleshes us out a little bit more, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 241 for episode 241. And until next time, you know I'm standing with you, I'm cheering you on, and I'm praying for you. As you build your life around the one who has promised to never leave or forsake you, Jesus Christ. See you next time.